This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to the Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. Before we launch into today's episode, Maddie, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank those people who have left ratings and reviews on the podcast. The response has been very positive so far, which has been encouraging. Keep them coming in, guys, and more importantly, tell your mates. Oh, mate, you nailed that, Maddie. You're just <laughs> on fire today, mate. Mate, today's subject is leadership, and I could have interviewed you again because you are just amazing in that area, but I decided just to take a wee step back from you, mate, and go to Australia's leading leadership coach and public speaker voted last year, Rowdy McLean. Now, not only does he have a lot of knowledge in the area of leadership, mate, his backstory is pretty amazing. Oh, mate, I don't think I'm in his category, Matty. Leadership has never been more in focus with what's going on right now with the global pandemic. Rowdy's tips are going to be so valuable for our audience. What I love about Rowdy is, though, he's just a real knockabout bloke and puts it in a really simple way. Mate, he's an absolute legend. I really enjoyed our chat with him. So how about we open the change room door and give Rowdy McLean a whiff of well-being? Well, welcome to the uh, change room whiff of well-being um, with Minnie and Matt. And today we've got the absolute honour of having one of Australia's top leadership coaches, a person that was voted best public speaker in Australia. Looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. pretty impressive. I'll need to get a little bit more insight into being a certified speaking professional designation, which is perhaps the highest honour of for public speaking. But on top of all that. Unfortunately, a Roosters supporter. How good's that, Matty? But fortunately, <laughs> a great bloke. Rowdy McLean, uh, welcome to the Change Room podcast. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on, mate. Before we you know, jump into the really deep stuff, we're coming for you today, by the way, mate, because <laughs> I, I owe you that. we just like to start off with a bit of a lighter question. And What have you done for yourself today to, to improve your well-being or your health to, to get your day going? Mate, uh, so I've had the unfortunate uh, experience of having to walk along the beach for 30 minutes this morning and watch <laughs> the waves roll in and the sunshine and pretty tough here where, where I live. And uh, I, I've, I've done uh, Adam McDougall's man plan this morning, so his little 10-minute workout. So yeah, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Where are you at, Rowdy? Tell us where you are at the moment. I'm in Lennox Head, north, north of the coast of New South Wales. Just a little sleepy oh, fishing village, mate. Lovely spot, mate. The rumour is, I don't know, I heard it off someone with a very similar uh, voice to yours. There's a few decent golf courses around that part of the world as well. Yeah, mate, I love, uh, I love a hit of golf and get out at Royal Byron whenever I can to chase that little white pill around. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Mate, I've had the opportunity to, to meet with you a few times and really generate a good friendship, but I, I had a look into your bio for the first time and I wouldn't mind kicking off with this because it maybe give us a little bit of a background on how you ended up exactly where you are. And, and with all humour aside, mate, you are an extremely impressive person and, the, and your achievements in life would also indicate that that's a fair observation to make. But when I looked at it, it said you retired at 34 what did you retire from and what was the impetus behind that? 
Yeah, so uh, retiring at 34 was, I, I was working for Telstra when I was 24 and part of Telstra was privatised, the part that puts really big, massive telephone systems into hospitals and banks and universities. And so the day that that privatisation happened, I left Telstra to start my own company in competition to Telstra. And uh, a really steep learning curve about creating a business and being in competition with a big uh, monopoly. And But I worked my guts out, you know, like 70-hour weeks, no holidays, no sick leave, just grinding away, grinding away. But, uh, you know, managed to uh, create a really successful business that uh, was all built on, on word of mouth, didn't spend a cent on advertising in in. The ten years, and because all of our customers referred us to somebody else, and that, that was our focus, and created a successful business that I was able to retire from when I was thirty-four, which was pretty cool. And you know, part of that was uh, all of the big companies from around the world, like Siemens and uh, Panasonic and Ericsson's, had all started to climb into the market because there were such big opportunities there, which meant the margins were reduced. So it was just a good time to get out, you know, and. Uh, play a bit of golf and uh, go to the beach. And, but funnily enough, you, I think we all have this uh, this desire to think about retiring and what we would do. And, and mine was I would play golf and go to the beach. But pretty pretty quickly it gets monotonous and, and boring and, and uh, same old, same old, you know. And, and uh, so I was lucky enough I was headhunted to run uh, Australia's biggest hospitality company which was on the brink of bankruptcy. So I spent uh, six years turning that around, making it into a massive success. And in that process, because of the turnaround, I got invited to speak in, at conferences and events about the turnaround. And and I was at a conference up on the Sunshine Coast where I was sitting down with a whole heap of speakers in the green room uh, waiting to go on stage and everybody's going, oh, this is the best conference ever. You know, we can play golf and book it up to the client and drink your mini bar and book it up to the client. And and, uh, and one of the guys goes, and we're getting paid. And I went, well, what do you mean you're getting paid? And they go, oh, Rowdy, don't tell me you're not getting paid. <laughs> no, it's for free. And then he told me how much money he was making speaking. I've got to, I've got to make a career out of that. And so I spent 15 years. It's quite an art, you know. Um, like anything, you have to learn the process. But after 15 years, 2019, I won uh, Keynote Presenter of the Year, which was uh, pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, this year in March, all of that disappeared. Like I had a hundred speaking gigs disappear in the blink of an eye, and, and uh, like everybody else, I've had to spend the last three, four months reinventing myself. Can Can I just ask a question about that? Because again, in my association with you, Rowdy, and I I, I know that you're sort of pushing it aside. Is is that I, I know we all like to uh, earn some income because <clears throat> that helps you play golf and. And, and eat, which is pretty two pretty handy things to be able to do, right? But I, I think for mine, was the motivation to change people's lives and the way that organisations operate as far as the human connection also a part of it? Because it's certainly been my interaction with you has been, that's been the key thing that you've, you've pushed my way. Yeah, I, I don't know that it was, that was my desire. That was the place that I fell into, you know. I just, uh, I discovered that I had a knack for, seeing the gaps and the issues and the, and the opportunities 
very much from a people perspective. And, and you know, I probably arrived in leadership at the, at the right time because, you know, leadership's made that massive shift from command and control to really inclusive leadership. And just by more by accident than anything, that was just my natural style of, of you know, I went into an organisation that had been very much command and control, command and control, and then uh, walked in and, and told everybody I was going to be hard but fair and people embraced that strategy and, and the business grew and climbed from that. The team really came together around the fact that you you have a genuine interest in them, not just in the business. You know, I think that's really how modern leadership is and should be. Tell us about leadership and how it's evolved. You've just sort of touched on it there. So let's go into, you talked about, uh, you know, year, many years ago where it was just sort of the leader was there and he was telling people what to do. Uh, in my experience as well, with a, with good teams and good culture, it's definitely an inclusive thing. How, has, how have you seen it evolve over time? I've seen it where, you know, you, you have the alpha leader um, and, and you know, 20 years ago, that was always a male. But you know, now we've, we've shifted to more of a leadership team structure and there's far more females in leadership roles, which is, I think is a, a tremendous thing, you know, that yeah, cool. there's a, that diversity that uh, females and, and, you know, even young people bring to leadership is now accepted, whereas before you had to be over 50 male and, uh, and and you just called the shots, and everybody did what you you were told what you told them to do. You know whether you were right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah. And and people, I think, used to love the power of leadership. You know, and and there were a lot of egos around it. Whereas you know, you, you look around now, even whether you're looking in politics or in sports or, or in business, there's a, a lot less ego in the leadership space. I think, and 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 people are prepared to be a lot more inclusive and listen to other people's opinions and take those on board, which ultimately can't help but get a better result. At a young age, did you ever think that you'll be up being Australia's best public speaker? No, no way <laughs> in the world. And if you ask the uh, – if you, I grew up in a little country town on the Northern Tablelands, a place called Gyra, and, uh, you know, I think I might have been voted by the community least likely to succeed, you know. But, <laughs> and, and I often get asked that question, like, how, how did I end up here? And, yeah. and I've, I've analysed that inside out, upside down and backwards, you know, and, and I don't really know other than I, I just – I have this ability to push through, to persevere, you know, and just to, to keep on going when others would give up. You know, most people throw in the towel when success is just around the corner. And I, I've just managed to get that grit that I'll just have one more go at it, you know, or I'll just try something different or uh, I'll think of another way. And, and it's not that big a shift for people, you know. But, uh, but that's I think that's the big difference between me and and. And most other people, is I just stick out a little bit longer, try a little bit harder. I couldn't agree with you more. Persistence is something that uh, very few have, and if you still persist at something that you love, then you, you, it becomes achievable, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's been research done by uh, a professor at Pennsylvania University, and she wrote a book called um, Angela Duckworth. Her name. She wrote a book called Grit, yep. and her research shows that. Uh, being intelligent is really useful. The ability to push through is will make you ten times more successful. Mm. So, 
Yeah, there's plenty of people, people, smart people around who just won't stay the course long enough. Her research shows that having a little bit of grit mm. is a really, really useful attribute. Question for you there around that then, Rowdy, is really interesting. Was the lack of expectations of you as a young person, did that play a part in, in the grit that you've, you've got? I think you put high expectations on yourself, you know, even if, even if other people don't. You know, the, the thing that took me to, to Sydney was I got a scholarship to go to, to college with Telstra, but at the same time I got the opportunity to go and play footy for North Sydney Bears and the captain of the President's Cup side. And, and But uh, there was this whole town expectation that as a country boy from a little town that you were going to make it and do really, really well. I think one of the things, and I think it's still true today, is country kids just don't realise what the city's like. You know, and, and I think a lot of them go down there and get spat out because it's it's such a different world and, and the city kids understand it real well. So when you go into a place even like the North Sydney Bears, which you know, wasn't a great winning culture or anything, but uh, but it was just a really difficult transition. A, a lot of kids, country kids that came down there at the same time as me packed up and, and went back home, you know, and, and uh, I stayed in Sydney, finished my... Um, time at college with Telstra and, and then uh, went around Australia on a motorbike, funnily enough, and, and decided to move back to the country and I moved to Tweed Heads. Mate, that's really fascinating. Mm. The other thing that fascinates me, Rowdy, about you know, what you share and, and how you actually get results for organisations and for people is, is around the principles of leadership. Now, if you Google the principles of leadership, I'll, I'll come back and see you in 17 days' time because there is, it's just endless. So do you have a, a set process around developing leadership, both from a personal point of view and from an organisational point of view, or do you have to be flexible in, in the application of ideas dependent on the person and the situation? Great question, great question. It's a, I have this belief that leadership is the path to every success. And uh, so you uh, show me a successful company, a successful team, a successful family, a successful community or a successful country, and I'll show you a, a great leader. And you show me a poor company, a poor team, a poor family, poor community or poor country, and I'll put, show you a poor leader. And so leadership is the path to every success and self-leadership is the first step on that path. You, you know, you just can't lead others if, if you're not fully in touch with who you are as a leader and what, what it is that you want to achieve. And, and I think there are some base levels that every leader needs to have to get that process started. And, and a lot of leaders, I find, start to climb that corporate ladder and, and they haven't really dealt with the fundamentals and as a result they get they get along in their journey and, and the, the ladder falls out from underneath them. So, you know, the first one of those is you need to really understand respect and uh, you need to understand that Respect can't be demanded. It, it's uh, it's something that needs to be earned. And one of the ways to earn it is to show others respect. In a modern era, you need to show genuine care. Like people aren't numbers anymore. They're, they're human beings. And if you're a leader that really understands that, that, that each person that uh, you're leading has their own way of approaching life, their own behaviours, their own habits, their own background, you'll just end up getting so much more out of them. And I, I think every leader, a fundamental is you need to be a good communicator. And if you're not, you need to work at it and work at it and work at it 
mm. until you are. You need to be able to communicate with uh, people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, and in different ways, shapes, and form. You know, um, Donald Trump communicating with everybody by twi- via Twitter is just. Uh, ridiculous, you know, and, and you can't just accept, decide that I'm going to um, communicate with all of my team via email, and that's going to that's going to be suitable. You need to be able to talk to some, email some, text some, mm. you know, sit down and have a cup of coffee with some. And I think the other thing is, is the modern leader needs to be really good at providing feedback. So being able to sit down with somebody and tell them um, how they can improve, um, how they can be better, what they're doing well, you know, what they like about uh, what they're doing, where they can see them going in the future. But a lot of leaders are, are, are terrible, terrible at providing feedback. And, and uh, because they're terrible at it, they, they shy away from having those conversations, you know. As a leader, you've got to be able to do both. You've got to be able to say, hey, Minnie, great job. I really love the way that you did this and uh, and I really appreciate it. And you also need to be able to sit down and go, Minnie, you know, what you did with that the other day I don't think was was your best work and and I'd like you to find a way to do it better. And you should never mix those two conversations, you know. If you're going to tell Matt that he's done a great job, you should tell him he's done a great job and then leave whatever else you have to say on another day. And then when you want to talk to him about his performance, do that separately as well. Don't mix those two conversations. I think um, two other really key things in leadership, and one of them is trust. You know, trust is such an integral part of a leader's persona. And if you're not trusted, you're just not going to go anywhere. If you don't trust others, you're not going to take them anywhere or they're not going to contribute anywhere near as much. And then I think the other thing is you need to walk the talk. You know, you, you can't say this is this is the way, this is the future, this is the path, and then do something differently. You, your thoughts don't make you a better leader. Your behaviours do. Yeah, it's it's funny sitting here and listening to that, Rowdy. A couple of things. One, you, you self-reflect and you can see, when, you know, personally I can see when I led well and, and then when I didn't, and not every one of those things that you said there resonate. I guess yeah. the other thing with them is is that um, they're really expensive. Respect costs a lot, eh? And, <laughs> and trust costs a lot. But I guess the point I want to make is is it's sometimes it's tougher to have that communication that you need to and give that feedback that you need to than it is not to. Sometimes it's tougher, yep. you know, to be respectful. And I always say this is that you know it's it's easier to sit on the lounge than exercise, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's easier to go and get a Macca's than it is to cook a good good mm. feed. So it's, I think what you're saying there really resonates that sometimes to be respectful, it's it's easier to be disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love it, Rowdy. What about culture and leadership? Are they the same thing? Are they two different things? And they, you know, in professional sport, everyone talks about oh, we need a winning culture. We need to develop a winning culture. Uh, is that part of the leader's responsibility or is it a wider responsibility of the organisation? I think they go hand in hand, but they are very much separate. And uh, if a leader doesn't pay attention to the culture, a culture exists whether you're working Mm. on it or not, right? And uh, and so if the culture is going to exist, as a leader, you should be conscious of what exists and what you would like it to be and then then work to shape that culture. And it's a it's a really difficult exercise developing culture. Like, you know, 
developing leadership is far easier than developing culture yep. because uh, leadership you're really working on one person's skills yeah. but uh, culture you're, you're trying to coordinate a whole heap of skills into one unified approach and it's really it's really difficult but some organizations do it really really well and like the all blacks have a, a yeah, fantastic culture it's a great book written by James Kerr, a book called Legacy, which yeah, is all about yeah. the All Blacks great culture. Book. Great book. Yeah. You know, yeah the, even the, the captain is sweeping the dressing rooms after the, their games. You know, stuff like that is is pretty amazing to, to read and see. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I love about that, mini is like that was a goosebump story for me to, mm. to, you know, when they finish the game, they go down and they clean the yeah. dressing and uh, while the other team's got on the bus and gone home, these yeah. guys open the dressing sheds. And when they ask them why they do it, they've gone, because we're responsible for the environment that we exist in, yeah. how we show up in it and how we leave it. But, you know, the underlying part of the All Blacks culture that I think a lot of leaders could learn from is they went from looking for of players with specific skills mm. as their main criteria to looking for good young men, yep. you know. So if you didn't meet that first criteria, mm. it wouldn't matter if you were the best back in the yeah. world, they were <laughs> interested in you. I think you know? that's, a, that's, a valid, that's a great point, you know. And I think you know, our current coaches, he looks to uh, the human being first. If he's, is he a good person? Then then his talent comes second. You know, I've, I've been involved in, you know, plenty of teams that have good cultures and plenty that had poor cultures through my career as well um, but the ones that I found when we're in a good winning culture was all the little things we were doing well but a big part of that was having fun what do you see how do you see fun on the on the checklist of a good culture fun is part of life isn't it so you know if you're not having fun in life there's something wrong and, <laughs> and, and culture's the same like yeah. if it if it's too uptight and too aggressive or too high-performance-driven, then it just doesn't work. You need to let off that uh, that stress valve every now and again and, and fun is the method to do it. But fun can also be a method of, of increasing performance yeah. as well, you know. It, it can be part of the bonding process. The, the thing about fun is you've got to allow it to happen organically if you try and force it yeah. some people get left out of it and, it, and that actually makes for a toxic culture because if if somebody is part of the group you know or two or three people are part of the group and they feel like they're, fe- they're left out of whatever the fun is mm. then it creates this us and them thing so fun, fun is definitely an important part but it has to be really inclusive we need to all play so if you've got organisations where, you know, they probably need to loosen up a bit, how do you incorporate that then? Yeah, we, we do all sorts <laughs> of things, you know. But, but I think one of, the, one of the first things you need to do is you need to get agreement, you know. And, and so when I'm going into an organisation and uh, we might be working with an executive team of 14 people, right, and, yeah. and uh, part of the process is... is They've reached a plan and we're going to find a way to get this leadership team to go to another level. Mm. And so we take them through all of these processes, but part of it is fun. And so in the, in the lead up to everything we're doing, we, we say to them, look, we're going to take you into some environments that uh, are going to be different. And, mm. and before we go there, we need to agree that uh, we're not going to reject those environments up front. We're going to use them as part of the learning process and uh, 
and some of them will be fun, some of them will be really challenging. But we got the dance instructors from Dancing with the Stars oh, to right. <laughs> to teach an executive team to tango, right? Yeah. And it was the funniest thing because <laughs> we've gone through this agreement process, but when we did the reveal, here's what we're going to do. These, these yeah. people just walked out dressed in all of their tuxedos and their yeah. gear and, and went, we're going to learn to tango. She was saying the look on these <laughs> And the CEO looked at me and if looks could kill, I would have been dead on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Speaking of looks, Rowdy, can you show us how that actually went down? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you tango, Matt? Uh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do it. It's a really funny thing, right? But because because we opened the door on that, mm. nobody rejected it outright. I, I reckon if we hadn't said, "Look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some things that are challenging. We're going to do some things that are fun. Sometimes they're going to be a mix of both." If we hadn't have said that and got the agreement, three or four people in that team wouldn't have participated. Yeah. But they sort of went, oh, well, we've agreed to this, we're going to do it. At the end of it, they couldn't stop talking about yeah. how good it was, how easy it was, was to do, and uh, how much how much fun it was. You know? mm. Yeah. Cultures are really, really interesting. You know, I think, many you asked the question about what's, what's evolved. Mm. I think one of the things is that now everybody's running with leadership groups, like they're doing yeah. it sporting teams, but they do it in organisations yeah. too. And, and I think that to some degree is leading to death by consensus, you know, where we've got to have the whole group has to agree. And, and so what happens when that happens is everybody comes down to the lowest common denominator because sometimes you've got somebody with a huge vision and yeah. they really want to drive a, a, an agenda but because you get groupthink, it brings it down to one level. And, and so, you know, you don't get the bottom end, but you don't get the top end as well. And so I think some of the organisations I've been working with this year, particularly when when the circumstances that we're in now here, at some stage somebody has to be the offer leader. Somebody has to go, I'm inclusive of the group, I'll, I'll ask for the group's input, but at the end of the day, I call the shots and here's what we're going to do. Mm. And that's really interesting, Rowdy, is one of the things that you learn with leadership is is that certainly organisations have flattened out, but we are a hierarchical species, right? We have parents and and we actually occasionally have to respond to that. How do you surf that balance when when you go into an organisation? Is it, again, is there a set way of doing it or is it dependent on the the history and the culture of the organisation? very much depends on the organisation and where they're at and what they want to achieve. You know, I worked with an organisation last year that was just smashing their competition. They were going really, really well, but they'd, uh, they sort of hit a plateau and couldn't go any further. And so I got asked to come in and, and work with the team to take them to take the team further. In essence, it wasn't the case of taking the team further. It was actually getting the CEO to actually let go and let the team just do their thing, you know. And so he'd spent almost 15 years almost solely building this company on his own with this great leadership team around him. But uh, he just wouldn't let them mm. go through the, the barrier, you know. I, so I just, so you know, what, a bit of trust issues there, or you think? Or? No, I think, no, I think it was just a history of this is how he'd been uh, okay. led all his life and then, so yep. that's the way that he was leading people. But all I got him to do was was when we sit in the boardroom and they'd have a meeting, instead of answering every question that came up, 
all I got to do was go, like, Matt, you'd ask, you'd ask a question, oh, I've got this marketing strategy and, mm. you know, I was thinking about going this way, but maybe I'll go that way. What do you think? And he would normally go, this is what you're going to do. But instead he'd go, I don't know, Matt, what, what, do, you th- what, what mm. do you think? What do you want to do? And you'd go, well, I reckon we should do A. And, and more than 90% of the time, they do A, you know, but sometimes yeah. you'd go, no, we don't do A, we'll, we'll need to rethink that. But just taking the foot off the uh, mm. off the brake and, and letting people rise into it yeah, that, made a huge difference. That, that's a great insight. I, I've got to ask you a retrospective question on what some of the stuff you shared about with working with groups there before because you've worked with a lot of different teams, right, you know, executive yeah. teams. And you talked about the um, the, the dancing. No, no, but I'm just no, seriously on on the side of things, regardless of what it is. What happens when you you strike someone that can't overcome that resistance? They're in that group, and I, I can't dance, or whatever it is that you've got them to do in the past. Yeah. What 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 does that tell you? It tells you that they they they're afraid of something. You know, and it's not usually the dancing. It's uh, how they're going to appear in front of the rest of the group or am I going to embarrass, be embarrassed. And, and you know, I think the big it's a good lead-in to, to something that I probably wouldn't have talked about, Matt, if you didn't raise it. But a big part of leadership today is being vulnerable, being, yeah. being able to say, you know, I'm not good at that or... Um, I don't understand that or can you help me with this, you know. Where you don't need to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof mm. as a leader anymore and it's, it's okay to go, you know, I, I don't understand this and I, I would appreciate your help with it. So so whenever we get an outlier, because that's what we t- call one of those people, so they're an outlier, so I, I have a conversation with them about what's the fear, what, what's... What's the thing that's stopping you doing that? And it, it's it's never that they can't dance. It's because, oh, you know, I don't want the I don't want the the head of marketing to see that I can't dance. You know, the head of marketing can't dance either. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's no different. Just you, you know, you guys have been in sporting environments. You, you just need to coach people through those places that they're not game to go. Mm. So with yeah. those impasses, Rowdy, is that where you see that the steepest learning and the, and the most improvement in people? Absolutely, absolutely. Like that's where all of the breakthroughs happen is, is and that's true of life as well, right? You know, even if we were talking about health and wellness, it, it's it's not until you go for that first jog around the block that, you know, and, and you push through that and go, actually, that wasn't that bad. And then you go for a two-kilometre run down the street and, mm. Well, that wasn't too bad, and and then uh, next thing you know, you're entering a ten-kilometer fun run, and <laughs> uh, then you run a half marathon, and you got to push through it. You got to push through it bit by bit, bite it off in small chunks, and and you know, I've heard you talk about this heaps of time, man, about how you can change your health and wellness just by changing one small thing. I've got a great mate of mine and, and he uses a great analogy about life. You know, we've all got garages full of junk, you know, all that stuff we, we're going to save for a great day and we always talk about cleaning up. It's such a big challenge that we never want to do it. He, and he goes, just go and unpack, go and find a shoebox and just unpack that shoebox. Don't, don't do anything else today, just unpack that one shoebox. And before you know it, you've done two and then three and then 
They think, you know, the whole garage is done. But that's the mindset that, that even the leadership at the highest level is we're going to take that, the things that we're scared of, we're going to just unpack that first shoebox. Mm. Away you go. So can I attach that, the word vulnerability that you talked about before to those comments and talk about the current situation we're encountering in 2020? Are you encountering more vulnerability in leadership or is there a 10 times more important now as a leader to show vulnerability? I think there's a little bit in both camps. So uh, whenever a crisis unfolds, a leader needs to stay calm. That's the, the number one key thing, right? You just stay calm, don't panic and provide a positive direction for everybody. During this time, that's been really critical. But uh, once you've done that and made made everybody feel safe and secure, that everything's going to be okay, that you've got a handle on it, I think once that's done, it's okay to go, you know, and I'm doing it tough too. I'm, I'm struggling and I'm hurt and I'm exhausted and I'm worn out because then people identify with you as well. Rowdy, you've, you know, you've shared a couple of stories already. You know, you've mentored thousands of people, organisations. Is there a couple or one story that really stands out or...? You know, I think if I had a common theme from the most successful stories, like, and there's, there's heaps, you know, but, but I think the one common theme that, uh, that makes the biggest change in a leadership's performance is finding their authentic self. You know, and not trying to be somebody else, or you know, not it's not Anthony Seabold trying to be Wayne Bennett. It's Anthony yeah. Seabold being Anthony Seabold. And I think when a leader is vulnerable enough to find their authentic self, they really, really grow. You know, I I was working with a leader. I changed her name, but she's doing really, really well. I'll call her Debbie, and. Uh, but just couldn't get to another level. And mm. so I, I went through this process of having her team and her. She she I got her to write down what are the what are the key things that she thinks she brings to her leadership. The number one thing, and she gave herself a 10 out of 10 for this, was honesty. But when I asked her team, they gave her a four for honesty. Right. And, and most leaders don't want to have this conversation now, right? Because they go, why? Why? But but the breakthrough was in having the conversation with the team is this person thinks they're really honest and you don't. Why is that? And they go, well, we think she's always holds something back. Like she's terrific. We love working with her. But there's always. So then I went to her and I said, look, I've, I've spoken to your team. They've given you a four for honesty. She was devastated. I said, but, but the good news is I can tell you why. And it's because you've. They feel that you hold something back and she's gone, she's just nodding her head. And I've gone, what? She's gone, oh, Rowdy, I do. I do. She said, I always like to have a little surprise or a little mm. uh, up level or something, you know. I like to have a little bit more to offer that is my big reveal. And I said, well, because of that, they don't think you're honest and, and uh, you either need to tell them that that's how you're playing the game or you need to reveal anything. And anyway, she decided that she would just tell them everything from then on, everything that she had, and away it went, mate. Like, they just grew like you would not believe. And so, you know, just finding that, that's, that's the work that I do, is I look for the gaps and then help people bridge those gaps. It's pretty simple, really. Well, it's simple for me. But. <laughs> So what, what about your assessment of leadership in these current times, Rowdy? Like, I, I, I don't know, I certainly haven't experienced anything 
remotely mm. like what we're going through at the moment. So what, how do you look at leadership? By, you know, and it goes across so many areas. It goes across us as a nation. It goes across businesses. You know, we look at the sport that, you know, that I'm involved in and the leadership in that area. I, I personally would think that's probably the best I've ever seen it. So what, what would be your assessment of, of, of the sort of the national leadership at this stage? You know, it's hard to be critical of any leader in this environment because it's an environment that we've never been in. Nobody's ever had to deal with this before. So I think everybody's learning on the run and the leader that's able to adapt to the the rapidly changing environment is probably the best leaders. And, uh, And some have been able to do that really, really well. Some have been found wanting and and. You know, if we talk about from a country point of view, I, I think uh, I think in Australia the leaders, both uh, federally and, and statewise, have adapted to what's been thrown at them fairly well. Um, but you look at other countries, and and I don't think they've adapted very well, if at all. And, mm. And, you know, if we talk, we might as well talk about it, the uh, National Rugby League, I think Peter Flandy's just done a remarkable job in pulling that game together to get it started before anybody else and then then, uh, provide the the harsh leadership that's required to maintain the integrity of that going forward. And that's a perfect example of... You just can't have a group of leaders make that decision. You need to have one person go, mm. you know, yep. I've consulted everybody, this is the path we're going down. When he, when he said the 28th of May, I think everyone thought, even in, in his organisation up at the NRL, thought, no, that's no way. How can that happen? And he made it yeah. happen. And, you know, I love the fact that he's authentic. Mm. You know, I think Scott Morrison is the same. Daniel Andrews is under a whole heap of pressure in Victoria. But I think he's authentic and I think he genuinely cares and he's dealing with something that that uh, it's easy to sit in your lounge chair and, yeah. and watch the news <laughs> and be really critical of him. But I wouldn't like to be sitting in his chair yep. dealing with... Uh, the circumstances, mm. and so I, I think I think leaders need to have empathy for people and the circumstances they're in. But I think we need to have a bit of empathy for for leaders as well. Leadership is such a hard mm. gig, really, because everybody wants a bit of you, right? So employees want a bit of you, your shareholders want a bit of you, your customers want a bit of you, the public wants a bit of you. And, mm. You know, so there's so many angles of accountability that that. Mentally, it's a really tough job, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people suffering mentally at so many levels. But yeah. leadership is not. Some, sometimes people think leadership they don't have those problems, but uh, there'll, there'll be a lot of med- mentally uh, suffering leaders right across the world. Yeah, know? for sure. Do you have an example of in life in your life of someone who, who absolutely nailed leadership, and 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 what were their traits? Like anybody, I've got leaders that I admire, and uh, but somebody who's absolutely nailed it up. Besides yourself, really, <laughs> yeah. Look, I wrote a whole book on it, mate. I wrote a book uh, on thirty years of mistakes. So I wrote a book called Leadability, and essentially, it's uh, it's all of the mistakes I made in thirty years of leadership. And if somebody read it now, they, they wouldn't make those mistakes. And you know, I think leadership is is a craft that you, that you can learn. You know, like, mm. 
if if at 25 years of age you turned up at a football club and said I want to I want to learn to be a fullback, you go, it's too late. You know, like you need yeah. to be you need to be playing in the backyard and mm. but. You turn up at 25 and go, I want to be a leader. I, I can teach you to be a leader. Mm. You know, if you turned up at 55 and said, I want to be a leader, I can teach you to be a leader. Mm. And so it's a skill, you know, that you never stop learning. I've been doing it for forever and I've still got so much to learn about it. I think we could all, if we all did a little bit more work on self-leadership, especially during this time, you look at, at the behaviour of some people and you just think, if they just practice a little bit of self-leadership, they wouldn't do that. Like, yeah. It's not that I have to tell somebody not to do that. If, if they could just stop for a second and go, if, if I'm setting the example for the family that I'm in or the community that I'm in or the organisation that I'm in, if I'm going to be a leader in that, this, this environment, would I behave like that? A lot of them would go, no, I wouldn't. But, but they haven't stopped long enough to go to self-reflect and go, well, I'm not. And, and I think the other thing is most people don't think they're leaders. And, and I have yeah. this uh, theory that you cannot not lead. And, and I've tra- had people try to do it. You know, I've, I've got a room for 120 people and I make that statement and some people fold their arms and go, you know, I'll go, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I go, look at you, you know, sitting back with your arms folded, yeah. pretending to be disinterested. That's leadership, right? Because people around are looking at you and going, mm. your behaviour is showing them uh, something they don't want to do. You know, so, so even though you're trying to do nothing, you're doing something. Yeah, I love that comment earlier that you said, uh, you know, leadership is uh, something that you you can keep learning as you go on. I love it. Um, what about yourself, Rowdy, uh, your business? What are you focusing on at the moment? So my business completely disappeared in March. And so I went from 100%, 100% live speaking engagements to 100% virtual speaking engagements. So I had to learn all of this technology and build a studio and, and everything. And three years worth of uh, education in three months. And uh, that, that was really difficult and, and mm. really exhausting. You know, I, I'm part of a mastermind group and a few weeks ago we jumped on a Zoom call to catch up and we've got an agenda and we normally climb into it and go a, a thousand miles an hour. And, and the guy in Melbourne, Andrew, says, before we get started, he said, listen, I just, I'm exhausted. How's everybody else? And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not going to answer that question. And then all of the others went, yeah, I'm worn out, I'm worn out. You know what, I'm worn out. And I didn't realise it, but when you're trying to implement change at a really rapid place, you just never switch off. You know, you're constantly thinking, oh, should I use two cameras? Should I get a different microphone? (laughs) Should I I present? You know, and... uh, yeah, it was, it, it was really hard. So my focus now is I've got really clear on uh, on stepping into the virtual world. I think it's here with us to stay now. Like, yeah. It's a funny thing about change. We hate change and uh, we fight change like crazy. Like uh, when ATMs first come out, <laughs> people wouldn't use ATMs because they worried they wouldn't count the money out properly and, <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff. And the banks, the queues in the banks got too long or, or the branches disappeared in towns and you had no choice but to use an ATM now. I, you know, I can't remember the last time I went to a bank. Yeah, exactly. And then the supermarkets, they went through that stage of uh, introducing, scanning your own groceries. Everyone's going, oh, I'm not going to scan my own groceries. Well, yeah, that's, I'm not being the checkout chicken. <laughs> but, 
but now it's an everyday occurrence, you know, and, and I think this virtual world, every all the the corporate organisations I talked about had, had gone, we're going to do virtual learning, we're going to do remote teams, but nobody ever really did it. But now that we've been forced to do it, mm. it's, uh, it's a part of life. And it's, look, it's so much easier. Imagine if I had to get on a plane and go down uh, to you guys and do this exercise, it's just so much more time and effort. But yeah. Really, it's... Uh, it's just here to stay, and I think at least twenty percent of the future of my work, probably more, will be through a computer screen. So you have to decide if that's going to be the future. Then I need to get really, really good at that. Rowdy, the common sense you just shared there, and you know, it sounds so simple, but it's so powerful. And I think that you know, after reading your book, one of your books, that's what. If you ask me to make an assessment of it, that's what I. That would be my assessment is is that this stuff's powerful but it's simple and it's common sense so it would be great for you if, if you know people tuning into this if you could just share the the, the books that you you have written and what's the best place to access them yeah so uh, my first book was called play a bigger game which is all about self-leadership motivation um, and my second book was leadability which is about leadership in general 30 years of uh, Mistakes that I wish I I had done before I I got started. It's a book that I had. I wish when I walked into my first leadership role, that book was sitting on my desk because that made the journey a whole a whole lot easier. I can tell you. Any but, more uh, if, uh, if you want to get a hold of the books or you want to have a chat about leadership, just go to rowdymcclean.com, hit the connect button, and or you can. Uh, just follow me on LinkedIn. I don't do Facebook or Instagram, but uh, I'm on LinkedIn writing stories about leadership pretty much uh, every week. So Beautiful. All right, Rowdy, we'll finish with uh, our last question that we ask all our guests that come on. What are the two or three key things in your game plan to stay healthy? That changes, unfortunately, on a regular basis. But, uh, That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but right now I, I need to sort my breathing out. I think yep. uh, I've got some real issues there with uh, respiratory problems, particularly my nose, so I probably need to sort that out. And uh, I sometimes forget the joy of exercising early in the morning and using that as a kickstart for the day. And, yeah. and uh, so particularly now the weather warms up, getting back into that, just getting 30 minutes of activity in mm. is, uh, is really good. And the other thing is... Uh, Enjoy your food, but don't eat too much of the stuff you really enjoy. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> oh, good stuff, mate. Rowdy, that was just wonderful information today. I learned so much out of that, mate. I really appreciate you coming on uh, the Change Room podcast, mate. Thanks for your time. Mate, uh, pleasure to be here. Love the work that you guys are doing. Thanks for listening to the Change Room podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. For more information about The Change Room, please head to thechangeroom.info.